Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we bring you a special conversation with a data scientist from Pro Football Focus. It's Kevin Cole. He wrote an interesting article about Jimmy Garoppolo using some fancy statistical things, and I thought, you know what? Let's talk a little bit about that, because Jimmy Garoppolo has obviously been on my mind. I'm sure he's been on the mind of lots of 49ers fans after that Super Bowl, and the question I kept coming back to over and over and over again was, is is Jimmy Garoppolo someone that you can win with? Is he someone that you can rely on? And, and is this someone that the Niners maybe have to, you know, think about in some way, shape or form replacing? Is he going to be good? What's the sample size? There's so many questions, of course, that that jumped into my mind. And, and as I was thinking about that, I came across an article on Pro Football Focus. It took a look at what Jimmy Garoppolo could be and, and his upside and how he's got perhaps a bit more upside than you would think. And so I reached out to the author of that article, Kevin Cole. He's a data scientist for PFF. And I thought, you know what? Let's kick off the off-season pods, which with a little bit of a look at the most important position uh, and what that position could be for the 49ers. So we are going to kick off our off-season content here in a couple of weeks. Uh, David is taking some much-deserved rest uh, I will also be taking some rest here in a little bit, but we're going to kick off with a talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to have our roster model, which will return again this season. We're going to have a free agency preview uh, in just a couple of weeks. Those are going to be coming soon. But until then, here's my conversation with Kevin Cole about Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and what statistics can tell us about his future for the 49ers. Kevin Cole. Data scientist at Pro Football Focus. It is a pleasure having you on, especially on your vacation. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing good. Yeah, I was telling you uh, earlier that I am in the Bay Area right here, so I can really harness the local energy uh, when talking about the 49ers. Yeah, let's do that. Let's jump right into it because this is going to be really a Jimmy versus Nick Mullins pod. That's what we're going to get into. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we we have plenty you never of have enough. You never, never have enough. Never have enough. Uh, you know, let's actually start off at the top before we get into the the all the nerd talk about statistics and a little bit about what we can really glean about Jimmy Garoppolo about his performance from his performance this season. Let's get to know a little bit more about you. I've got four questions for you. Uh, so listeners can figure out whether to immediately dismiss what you're saying, uh, or really lean in. Uh, so question off the top, Kevin Cole, which Ninja turtle are you? God, it's, it's been a while since I've, uh, since I've, I, I mean, I, I don't, all I remember is I believe Leonardo is kind of like the leader and maybe there's nothing you can really pick out as being that extreme. So I think I will pick him if I even remember my turtles correctly, which is a 50-50 bet at best. Yes, you are correct. Leonardo, the Blue Ninja Turtle, was indeed the leader uh, and an absolutely acceptable answer. Now, this is going to be one of my personal favorites. Best cheeseburger you've ever had. Go. Ever had? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I mean, there are quite a few places. I mean, I, I live in New York City. So there are quite a few places here. I mean, I think bang for your buck as someone who grew up in California and Southern California, you know, I love In-N-Out Burger and you really can't can't beat that. I know it's a, it's kind of a divisive topic um, <laughs> during election season. This is maybe even more divisive talking about In-N-Out Burger. So that, I'll say that number one. But in, in New York, there are quite a few places and there's a place in Brooklyn, I believe it's called The Manor, where they have, got, they have one of the best cheeseburgers I, that I've ever had there and burgers in general there. That sounds amazing. I'm glad we're not talking about French fries because I would tell you to leave the podcast immediately if you, if you had it now. 
you know, I, I might, I might back, I might back it about French fries too, which I know is, oh, is really oh. cool. Well, okay, you can you can edit that out. You can yeah. you can edit that out. I actually worked at In and Out Burger and in my Did in my really? formative years. Yeah, I had to wear the whole uniform hat and everything. It was uh, it was pretty. It's actually kind of funny story behind that because I interviewed once when at the beginning of uh, high school or mid mid high school, and I didn't get the job. And then I learned that. All you got to do is just be as friendly as possible, like over the top, ridiculously friendly, and they'll hire you whether they think you're like dumb as a rock or anything. So then I just pretended to be really friendly. But then once I got on the job, I was kind of more of a grumpy guy and bringing everyone down there. But uh, I think the uniform in itself is, is a sight to behold, especially when you have to wear that and look at yourself in the mirror every day. All right. What are you watching on TV right now? Television show and or movie? Not right the second, obviously, but things that you're watching right now. I wish I watched more stuff. We, uh, I, I have a couple of young kids. Uh, one of them was staying up way too late, so I haven't been watching that much recently. But I think the most recent thing we finished was the the documentary Cheer on Netflix. Uh, it got a decent amount of hype here. It's following a cheerleading team. Uh, it's a junior college in Texas that's one of the best cheerleading teams. But I thought it was it's actually very interesting because the the coach for the cheerleading team. She is, you know, a very well-known person in that industry. And there's a lot of similarities between I felt like football and cheerleading because they really get injured a lot and in playing through pain and doing stuff like that or cheering through pain, I guess, in that, in that circumstance. And I thought it was a very interesting leadership style that she had because it wasn't very rah-rah, but it was really, you know, she's really able to bring together a lot of these kids who kind of came from diverse and very some of them very troubled backgrounds and, and kind of brought them all together there. So it's it's a really interesting documentary if everyone wants to check it out on Netflix. It is. I really enjoyed it. I watched it too uh, a few weeks back, and yeah, it was it was definitely phenomenal. Also, would recommend. Uh, and last question: Do you love to win or do you hate to lose? I would say love to win more than hate to lose. I mean, I basically just like to talk a lot of trash. So. And then if I lose, then I'm just like, hey, who cares? So, uh, so, so I, I think it's one of those things. You got to be able to talk trash in both circumstances. So I, I can still talk trash somehow, even after I lose. I'll find a way to do that. So in that way, winning is is that much better because you can really just pile it on at that point. All right. So that's a good that's a good base for the soup. Now we know where you're coming from. We kind of know, you know, to basically disregard all of your opinions about fast food. Uh, and, and but we're going to trust your thoughts and opinions when it comes to, to statistics, because you wrote a really interesting article about Jimmy Garoppolo and, and you compared him to some of the players that have kind of been rumored to to replace him. If you were going to go out and find a replacement for someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. And you really grounded your analysis in something you did a couple of times before with one of your other articles, and that's in Bayesian statistics. And that's kind of where I wanted to start, because it's something that you're going to see, I think, and have seen recently a bit more and more in the football space. And so the first question off the top is, is really what is or what are Bayesian statistics and, and why did you think that was a good methodology to use to evaluate the future performance or really to predict the future performance of quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, I would say there are kind of two major schools as far as uh, statistics and how you're going to use them um, for predictive, uh, tr trying to figure out predictions on, on outcomes. Um, you have Bayesian and you have more of like a frequentist sort of perspective. And the big difference here is one would be gathering a large enough sample to say on the frequentist side where you're, you're gathering a large enough sample. Then once you have a large enough sample, you make a prediction based upon that sample and you're hoping for something like 
uh, a p-value or, or one of these measures where you can say this is statistically significant and that is really highly dependent upon just how big of a sample that you have so in other words how many uh throws someone has how many games they've played it depends on what on what you're measuring there whereas for bayesian statistics and why i think that it really works well with football which is notoriously has smaller samples because of the shorter season and you don't have as many plays as you have possessions like you would in something like basketball uh, the reason that it works there is you have a few different elements, but you really have a strong what, what they call a prior, which is your expectation before you start. And then each time you see a piece of evidence, you adjust slightly based upon that. And then you have a new prediction, which is based upon which, which comes off of that evidence. So the reason that it works well with football is you can have a prediction based upon a very small bit of of sample size as opposed to if you just had someone who had thrown the ball let's say 100 times and they're having such a career amazing year as a rookie uh you still wouldn't be able to necessarily get anything that interesting off of the frequentist perspective because you don't have enough sample to go on whereas you, you could actually take that and plug it in and try to properly weigh all these things in in the bayesian statistics so that's why i think it's interesting so ultimately you've got a prior which is some evidence-based belief and then you add some current evidence and it gives you kind of like an, an updated projection or what's sometimes called a posterior belief. And, and it, it sounds like you are also able to draw on a, a much larger sample set because when you're talking about frequentists, you're saying, okay, well, that one rookie, all you're looking at is, is his sample size. But when you're using something like Bayesian stats, you can actually take the performance of all rookies or all quarterbacks and say, that's going to actually inform my prior and I can use that as a basis to compare what this individual rookie is going to do. So you, you kind of get access to more information, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you, you get that. So yeah, so I think just to, to build on a little bit further and some of the work that I've been doing on it, you not only have a prior for what your what your exact prediction is, but you also have a range of outcomes. And th that range is based upon the range that we've ended up seeing. So, I mean, we'll get into it more about Garoppolo later, but just to use the, the quarterback for an example, you could say, here are all NFL passers. Here's what you'd assume an average or a median, um, if you want to use that instead, passer would do. And then you also know, based upon historically, what, let's say, passers who, are, who have thrown, who have dropped back 500 times, 1,000 times, however, whatever measure you want to be, you kind of know what the range of outcomes are. So then you, you have this whole range that you're really basing off of right from the beginning. So there's a lot of information in that. And then, like you're saying, if you were just going to do you know, a regression based upon the sample of a particular, uh, of a bunch of different quarterbacks, but then you, and then you want to predict an individual quarterback, you have some of that information, but it's just not going to be built in in the same way. And you're not going to have all of these different parameters that are really going to help shape not only your prediction, but shape the, the range that you think someone will, will be going forward. Because I think that's, what's really missing from a lot of predictions is not only saying, Hey, we think this guy is going to be so good, you know, uh, uh, attaching a ranking or a label to someone, but getting an idea of what their ceiling may be, what their floor may be, because depending upon the player, depending upon how you're constructing a team, those types of outcomes are going to be very important to you, not just what your prediction is for their average outcome. The, and those are a couple of the reasons why I really love the, the Bayesian statistical outlook or, or, and how it's being applied to the NFL, because to me, it seems really intuitive, right? It's like, okay, you've got something that you believe that's evidence-based, you add additional information to it, and that informs a prediction. That, to me, even without all, knowing all the fancy stuff in the background, seems really intuitive, right? And, and then on yeah, top of yeah, that, exactly. And then on top of that, you get the idea where it's like, look, we're not just going to say this one thing is going to be true, and and we have you know X degree of certainty. It's like, well, 
these are your potential outcomes. And some of these may happen, you know, we think more frequently than others, but you get a range of outcomes and it's not just like, oh, they're going to be good. Oh, they're going to be elite or, oh, they're going to be bad, which oftentimes I think that the conversation is really reduced to oftentimes, especially when it comes to to, to NFL players or NFL quarterbacks. And so it, it really does. I, I love it. And I love when I read articles about that. And, and you did one, I think about like the best young passers and, and how you looked at like Mahomes, you look at Trubisky, you look at Watson like which one of these is more likely to be the best young passer. Uh, and, and it was a really great analysis that basically said, yeah, Mahomes is, is really good. And Niners fans, of course, feel that viscerally still. Uh, but but I thought it was really good because you did something similar with uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, you know, it's it, go back to that, the, the analysis of the 2017 draft class. I think what you're doing, what you're doing with 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 the Bayesian statistics and how you're you're building the the prior and the evidence in your projection is something that we all do naturally i mean we all know that if a quarterback starts off a season poorly and it's someone like uh you know let's say tom brady five years ago or something like that if he starts off poorly you're not going to think you're not going to think too too poorly of him because you because you just know that you have this huge huge um uh, you know, sample of evidence before the how, of how great he is. So you're not going to weigh it that much versus another quarterback where you don't know, maybe it's, it's someone who has, you know, like a Matt Castle at the same point in time who came and had a couple of good games. You're not really going to, going to view Castle as being better than Brady based upon that, of course. But I think that what we do have a tendency to do is overreact to recent performance even with that in mind. And, I, and the first piece that I did on that on that 2017 class, it was right after early in the season. I don't remember what week it was. It might have been week five or six where the Texans went into Kansas City. Uh, they won. Watson had an unbelievable game. And there was some talk of, hey, is it possible that Deshaun Watson is, in fact, better than, than Patrick Mahomes? He had been better so far in the 2019 season. Um, so what I wanted to do was look at it and say, OK, well, let's you know, we have a way of using Bayesian statistics where we can look at the evidence of their entire careers and build it into this projection. So we're not over we're not over projecting one based upon what's recently happened, because I think you'll see that every season that midway through the year, uh, whoever's been the best quarterback midway through that year, people are thinking that they are, quote unquote, the best quarterback going forward when uh, the evidence may not say that if you're looking back further than just the last eight games. Yeah, it was somewhere around week five or six uh, is where I think you published it. It was in October. Uh, and, and I think you're absolutely right that you do kind of overweight that recent uh, that recent thing that you've seen. And, and that kind of makes sense. It's also why I think it's important to, to look at this in aggregate and say, OK, what do we know? What does it tell us? And so let's let's talk a little bit about what that analysis was for Jimmy Garoppolo, because Jimmy took a dip this season in his passing grade overall, I think. He ended 15th in passing grade, which, of course, in that 20, in 2017 run, uh, he was really, if you just looked at that sample, you know, top five, top 10. Part of it was his intermediate accuracy that dipped his turnover worthy play increased. Um, and, and so there were some things, obviously, that contributed to that. And when you look at just that recent performance, of course, you're like, OK, I don't know about this as Jimmy guy. I don't know. Um, but he was still a top 10 rated quarterback when you look at just quarterback rating when he was kept clean. And we know that that's more stable year to year uh, when you look at quarterback performance. So in, in your kind of Bayesian look at Jimmy Garoppolo, what are we able to tell about his kind of projected outcomes after the evidence that we got from that 2019 season? Yeah, I think what would not align with 
the 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 kind of the, the normal way of looking at it as as you described you know had better performance before and then worse performance now so our feelings about him or our projection for him should be worse going forward but what ends up ha- happening actually when i when i did this analysis is that it hadn't really changed a lot over the course of the year and the reason that is is because when his performance was uh much better in the past uh specifically going back to what he did during the 2017 season uh over the course of those last those last games where he came in and, and you know they won every game and they played well and he had a he had a passing grade of almost 87 there it was still only over the course of 190 dropbacks so because of that his projection moved up but it didn't move up nearly as much as to say hey we're expecting this guy to have a passing grade in the high 80s going forward. That's not the expectation. I mean, he was a late second round pick. He had very limited history. His projection went up, you know, went up a ton, but it's not going to match what he had done based upon that performance. And then this year, you know, a step back from that performance, his passing grade was 76. But the reality is we weren't really projecting him to be to be better than that going forward because we knew that it was a limited sample before using this technique. And it, it basically just 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 kind of bounced around in the same sort of area now where we're still saying, you know, he's still probably an above average passer. And we have some confidence there. Whether he's a great passer or not, we still don't know. So I think that's that's kind of another big thing with Jimmy Garoppolo is despite the fact that he's older and he's been in the league a long time, we know less about him just because he hasn't had as much of a, a evidence uh, given to us. Now, your article was really great because it compared Jimmy Garoppolo to some of the replacements that are going to be available in the open market this year. And the question you kind of asked was interesting, right? It's like, okay, do you, given Garoppolo's performance and his projection, do you replace him with someone like a Jameis Winston or a Cam Newton or a Teddy Bridgewater, quarterbacks that would be available in this free market area if the Niners decided to cut bait because Garoppolo's contract is such that they can probably get out of it if they really want to. So based on what you, uh, based on the Bayesian analysis that you did in the, in the article, do you think that one of those other quarterbacks would be better options for the 49ers? I mean, I'm really looking more at the ceiling outcome uh, for teams and that being the most important thing going forward. I think what we saw this year for the 49ers was a situation where you might have been more concerned with with the floor or your average outcome because there was such strength built around uh, a Jimmy Garoppolo for the rest of the team. Now, you can't really predict that going forward. I mean, defenses are more likely to regress. Um, you're probably not going to get as strong of a defensive performance next year no matter what you do. You know, players need to be resigned, all that sort of, sort of thing starts to happen. So I think what you want to do is you want to see if you can really get – a higher ceiling quarterback because that's someone where it rises, you know, it, it just it just raises your performance across the board and your expectations across the board. So when looking at Garoppolo, like I mentioned, the fact that he hasn't thrown the ball as many times as as these other quarterbacks, I mean, it's somewhat similar to Bridgewater, but Bridgewater has just been a a lower ceiling, lower floor option as far as our passing grades is concerned. But he he hasn't thrown it nowhere near the amount of times as someone as Cam Newton or even some or even Jameis Winston who has been in the league a shorter period of time but he's 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 given us a lot to a lot to look at since he's been there it just shows that they may have similar uh most probable outcomes but uh garoppolo has a lower floor and a higher ceiling because of because we haven't seen as much from him there and i think that's really what you're going to hope for going forward now what's interesting there is that you look at you know you talked a bit about the probability outcomes and and one of the interesting things in the article was cam newton 
And you've got a lot of individual events, individual throws for Cam Newton that tell you that, yes, he has performed at higher than Garoppolo at times. And But because we have so much information on him, his his outcome curve basically is, is pretty narrow. We, we effectively, because of the information that we have, know what Cam Newton is. And, and with Jimmy Garoppolo, you still have a little bit of the probability that he can absolutely be an elite passer because... You, you do see probability outcomes where that is the net outcome for someone like Jimmy Garoppolo. And and when you're looking at, you know, well, should you replace him with someone like Bridgewater or Newton? I thought it was really interesting that ultimately the, the net answer is like, well, I don't know that you really should because with the quarterback, you know, this is where you kind of get outside of the statistical stuff. But with the infrastructure that he's got, with the coach that he's got, you know, and, and the probability is still there that he can be an elite passer. It may make more sense to continue rolling the dice with someone who has shown he can take you to a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I think there's always uncertainty when someone new is brought in. And when it comes to Cam Newton, I, I'm you know I'm not as negative on Cam Newton as some others may be. Obviously, you have the health health issue and those things. But I think a lot of people they associate ceiling with the fact that he was the MVP in 2015. And I guess we just did not have him graded as highly that year as you would have suspected for an MVP type of player. He didn't perform as well by advanced metrics like expected points added and then ESPN's QBR. You know, he didn't perform as well as Andy Dalton or um, or Carson Palmer that, that year uh, had performed better. So I think he was put in a situation where everything went right. There were a lot of long plays that he made. So I think people associate and they say, this guy's an MVP type of player or has an MVP ceiling. But, uh, he, you know, it, it, what he's shown us the rest of his career, and what it even showed us that season, other than the fact that these these things started to go right, was he may not have as much ceiling as as you think. And in fact, Garoppolo, who is someone where later on in their career, you know, a lot of a lot of quarterbacks put up some of their best seasons later on in their career, like someone like Carson Palmer that I mentioned before. So it, it's it's not something that he's too old to, to to give you that type of ceiling outcome going forward. And I think that that's what you're. That's what you're you're hoping for, of course, if you're going to go in and make additional championship runs. So it sounds like at least in terms of options, you know, I, I would generally want to stay away from Jameis Winston LASIK surgery. Be damned um, just because of the, the, the way that <laughs> I'm, he I'm plays. shocked by the Jameis, by the fact that Jameis has become maybe even a possible option for some teams. It's not that I, I mean, I, going into last year, I was probably thinking that he was underrated because he was often listed as being the worst of, of the young quarterbacks, even worse than someone like Marcus Mariota going into going to the last the last couple of years. So I, I guess I thought he maybe was a bit underrated, but now I, I just don't get what team can sell their fan base on Jameis Winston right now. Honestly, if, if he's he the in. most frustrating bridge quarterback you could ever get. He's like, I, I don't know, man, but it, what, what was interesting is I always thought that Jameis would like the perfect Jameis season is a 40, 40 season where he would throw 40 <laughs> TDs and 40 picks. And he he just about did that this year. I think he got to like 30-30, which in and of itself, uh, or close to 30-30, which is pretty, I mean, that's that's a feat in and of itself. But you've got someone like Bridgewater who their, their probability curves are probably a little bit not going to be as high of a ceiling looking into the future. Cam Newton is, is more defined, so you kind of get what you get. And Jameis Winston is, you know, going to be kind of all over the place, e- even though their outcome curves in terms of where they're at are, are similar, interestingly, to Jimmy Garoppolo. But in terms of turnovers, I just don't think you can you can swallow that pill. Right. So the other question then is someone like a Kirk Cousins. You think about Kirk Cousins becoming available in a year, potentially. Um, and, and you mentioned something earlier about Kirk Cousins having a career year based on that one year in 2019, which it was a good year. 
would you expect that kind of performance to continue or would you still ride the Garoppolo kind of, hey, he can actually still be an elite quarterback and have a similar type of season to Kirk Cousins 2019 season, just given what we know about what he's performed and what that may mean for the future? Yeah, Matt, I think you could say that Cousins is probably underrated, although he got a little bit more more hype this season. And like you mentioned, yeah, he, he did have his career year this year. It was on far fewer dropbacks than he had had in previous years. I mean, he had about 480 dropbacks this year versus close to 700 some years in the past or, or, or well above 600 in the past. So again, it's one of these situations where you shouldn't read as much into the fact that he had this career year as being more predictive than these previous years where they had where he had more dropbacks. I mean, he's been at or above 80 a, a few times in his career in passing grade. So I, I think I think he's he's another option where it's just very difficult to to say you're going to you're going to get rid of someone like that. Like I think some people maybe for the Vikings would think. But at the same time, because of the fact that he has so much more history, I mean, he's someone with thirty four hundred career dropbacks that it it just doesn't seem like he would have the ceiling, especially when you think about everything that went right for him. Um, like I said, 3,400 career dropbacks versus less than fewer than a thousand for for Garoppolo. So I think it's a pretty easy decision as far as who has the the higher ceiling going forward. So you know, it strikes me that we've talked a lot about comparing Garoppolo to other quarterbacks in terms of replacement options because that that's kind of the nature of the game. It's like, well, if you're going to get rid of someone like Garoppolo, who are you going to bring in that's going to be better? That that's the ultimate gamble. And I don't know that any of the options that would be available to the 49ers either this year or even next year would would be someone at least from a free agent perspective or someone who's available in that area going to i, I think do it and, and i think blown like go, going after a, a rookie quarterback i don't know the niners are going to be in that position just because of how many games i think they're going to win with the team as it's constructed so at this point then it's like okay jimmy garoppolo is probably your best option but the question still remains and i think the question on a lot of people's minds is can jimmy garoppolo effectively take the next step or does something like his age, because he's older than other quarterbacks? I mean, he doesn't have as many starts as Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, but you know, he's got years on them, and he spent some time watching film with the elder Shanahan. Um, you know, so how does that get factored into your prediction for what kind of quarterback he can become, um, or, or does that at all? Yeah, the 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 pure Bayesian um, projections that I'm doing do not account. For how old someone is, and like you've said, I've I've seen that as a pretty popular talking point by some people who are more skeptical of Garoppolo. As they'll say, you know, can he get better? And they'll say, well, uh, if he was 24, I think he could get better. But being the fact that he's you know six years into his career now, I don't believe that he can get better. So what I did to look at that is. Again, it's something where that makes intuitive sense, right? It makes logical sense that you have more room to grow the younger you are uh, than, than the older you are. But the problem is without studying it, um, you're making a, a prediction based upon intuition most, most of the time. here. So I, I tried to look at it a bit more. And what I did was I looked at quarterbacks. I looked at how many seasons they played. And then for every single dropback that, that that they have in a in, in a particular season, I looked at the previous thousand and the next thousand, and then compared the two, the correlation between the two. So just to see how steady the how much more steady the performance gets as a quarterback ages through. Now, like I said, you know the most dropbacks you're going to have in a season is going to be somewhere 
six hundred and something dropbacks. This is more than more than a season prior and more than a season after. And yeah, the correlation goes up from two seasons played to six seasons played, um, but it's pretty minor. And I think what that lends to is the fact that performance can be fairly variable. Um, and you know, guys, like I said, Carson Palmer in 2015, Matt Ryan in 2016, when he won the MVP, Kirk cousins last year, they really didn't have anything prior to that. And these were not situations where they were making the leap as a young quarterback when they had those seasons, it can happen later on in a career that someone can have that statistically higher year. So I think when you look into it, as you do for a lot of things, as you say, yes, this does exist. This phenomenon exists that people, uh, logically and, and their intuition is telling them, but not to the degree that they believe that it does. Yeah, so I think in the article you say that the the change in terms of correlation from you know a set of one thousand to to the next thousand is not that different when you look at their first two years to their next to six years. Basically, it's like a point five uh, correlation versus the point five eight after six years. So it, it's a small bump, but it's not a huge one. So we're we're kind of drawing this picture of Jimmy Garoppolo, one that is better than the options that are available, one that has you know kind of outcome curves that still say yes, he can absolutely be an elite passer. Um, from just a statistical model, just looking at what quarterbacks like him have done before and looking at what he's done in the NFL. Um, I think one of my favorite bits, of course, I love the graph where it's like, what's the, the outcome curve of him being the best quarterback? And it's like, yeah, he's got the highest upside. It's like, yes, that's what you want to see. You want to be on that side of the equation, right? Um, you know, so is there anything about Jimmy Garoppolo's performance that you think to yourself, okay, like this is the only thing that concerns me. This is what I worry about. Um, because right now it's been like, it's not, it's been a relatively rosy picture for people who support Garoppolo in so much as you say, yeah, he can absolutely be a good quarterback. You know, could he be a bad one? I don't know. Right. I guess that's kind of the question that that I'm asking. Yeah. It's always difficult to figure out how much other factors come into play for determining quarterback performance. I mean, we, we probably underweight a lot of stuff that, that happens for certain quarterbacks, like maybe Tom Brady, you know, we probably underweight the fact that he's been in the particular system or had someone like uh, Rob Gronkowski for so many years, and we might overweight it for others. It's kind of like our our feeling about a quarterback, whether it's Jared Goff, then we say, oh, it's all, uh, you know, it's all McVay, it's all it's all the system. Um, if it's someone that we believe in, and then if it's someone like Patrick Mahomes, we we don't lean into the fact that he has such a great system, such a such great receivers as as we may think. So I think when it comes to Garoppolo, that would be the one thing that you could point to is you could say, well, you know, he played in very briefly in a Patriot system, which is seen as being somewhat friendly. Uh, he played for obviously Kyle Shanahan is seen as being, being one of the best play callers. Um, he, he has George Kittle, who's, who's been one of the best offensive weapons in the league. Um, but uh, you know, uh, by the same token, he hasn't had necessarily great wide receivers around uh probably nowhere close to someone like you know matt ryan when he had his mvp season he had julio jones and and everyone there so i I think that there's that would be my concern is to say has it been built around it is it this system with this play action system which is which is designed to get easier throws for him has that been something that's really benefited him that much and um is it a concern if things don't kind of go the same way can there be a jared goff's sort of a sort of regression going forward if the pieces around him aren't as good as you want them to be. But but the problem is that's just true of a lot of different quarterbacks. And I, don't, I think there are a few that can really just transcend everything around them. So I don't think it makes him different, but it's something to potentially be concerned about. Yeah, and this is where I, I kind of fall back on the, well, there's more to a quarterback than just being a Tom Brady or being a Peyton Manning and being the elite quarterback yeah. of the world, right? There, 
there are not only just different flavors of quarterbacks. I think, you know, the quarterback clustering that PFF does is, is really important here where it's like the, the specific type of QB that you are is important. And, you know, you, you pointed out in, in your article, I think that Winston and, uh, and Garoppolo have similar performance lines, but I would take Garoppolo a hundred times over Jameis Winston just because of the type of quarterbacks that they are. And, and I think my ultimate, cause I, you know, it's the Super Bowl was a gut punch for every Niners fan. Right. And, and I did right that in our post game pod, a lot of it was like Jimmy Garoppolo didn't execute. You know, if he hits that pass to Emmanuel Sanders, you're probably talking about the legend of Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. If, you know, Chris Jones doesn't tip a pass, if, you know, he doesn't throw that duck of an interception like there are there's always those things I think that you worry about. But I come back to a couple of things when it comes to Garoppolo. Right. One it's hard and not always uh, common for quarterbacks to be even as good as Garoppolo, even when they're drafted high. And he's in a favorable system. He does the things well, at least has shown that he can do them well, <laughs> that are predictive of future success. Um, you know, kind of performance in a clean pocket. What can you control? And and you put all those things together and you put him with the coach and you put him in a system where he's overperformed in terms of EPA, you know, which means obviously Shanahan has a, a role to play here. And you think to yourself, that's not a bad situation to be in. It's a situation that will win you games, can win you a division, and all you got to do is get to the dance, and, and then you got to win the game. Um, and are, does is Jimmy Garoppolo the quarterback to, to do that? I think, yeah, kind of. At least right now in this current iteration of the Niners, I, I would absolutely kind of align myself with the affirmative in that statement. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I also think that we focus a lot on quarterbacks who, in these non-ideal situations, whether it's playing under pressure or or playing in a you know in a situation where guys are you know these type of plays that let's say Patrick Mahomes can can make that only he can make, and saying that's really what we're going to focus on more than anything else. But I I think there's probably more degrees of difference between quarterbacks and how they execute what. Some people may just throw all into the same bucket as far as just a, a standard, you know, pass that you should be able to execute. It's within structure, all those different things. But, you know, th- that is a skill, too. And being able to execute that, we probably downplay a little bit more than what we should. And I, I think when it comes to Garoppolo, you know, he made a great he, – he didn't get a chance to, to shine that much to the Super Bowl. He made a great throw to to George Kittle, which which got which got taken back. Um, and even the throw to – to, to Manny Sanders. Yeah, I mean, he missed it. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes misses a ton of long throws, too. He just gets a lot more attempts. And he probably actually has some receivers who could run under it probably a little bit better, too. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not as low on someone like like Garoppolo for that reason. It's just he, he is executing. And I think that you can't just get rid of someone and, and plug anyone in and expect them to be able to execute uh, at that sort of level. And that's a huge risk for a team because it's not just, you know, for me, it's not just Super Bowl or bust. I think a lot of a lot of people think that also you have to get yourself into position to, to get into the playoffs because we've seen lots of times where teams can make a run. And if we see this new structure with only one team getting a bye week, you know, uh, and another team getting into the playoffs, even more teams will have a chance to make a run at a Super Bowl going forward. Yeah, I mean, first in- intuition about that new playoff structure that Schefter apparently reported on. Uh, if you haven't heard, the the news apparently is that they're going to go to a seven-team playoff structure. The NFL is going to go to a seven-team playoff structure, and only one team will get a bye. My first gut reaction is like, no, I don't like it. Don't like it. Nope, 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 nope. Dot gif. Um, and, and you know, you point out that you know, even lots of things can happen in the NFL. And I like Drew Brees. Drew Brees, I think, is like one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Dude's amazing. And he's got one ring. One. And every like every time it's been just like this ridiculous kick. 
uh, where they've gotten knocked out of the playoffs. And, and, you know, it's even with an elite quarterback playing at a very, very high level, it doesn't always mean that, that you win, you know, the, the big dance. And so it, the, the article, I was really, I was really looking for something that was like, all right, help me understand and pick apart what, what really Jimmy Garoppolo can be. Cause that's the question on every 49ers fans minds. Like what can this guy be? And, uh, I'm I'm lucky that I came across your article because it was basically it was really like uplifting for me as an Niner fan to be like oh yeah he can actually be still a really really good quarterback um, and and there's still a lot of football to be played um, and he's not a finished product and you know I think that outside of the Bayesian inferences you've got you know someone like Shanahan who I think is going to be good for any quarterback that he uh that he coaches and so i left a little bit more hopeful about jimmy garoppolo after reading uh, your article than i was maybe even just in that post uh super bowl funk so thank you uh for that <laughs> okay well i'm glad i could provide some uh some psychic relief there and yeah i mean like i said I, like, like i wrote in the article you know yeah fewer dropbacks than baker mayfield or josh allen or these other guys who who most people are really cutting them a lot of slack. I think it's kind of interesting. That's the kind of flip side of the coin. We look at some of these younger quarterbacks and we think that you can just write off what they have done so far. And that's probably something we go too far, um, discounting what they've done so far. Um, and we're, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're kind of th- too locked in on someone like Garoppolo, but we're, we're too open on someone like, let's say a Josh Allen, who's just been bad for the same amount of time going forward. So I'd be much more concerned if you have a quarterback who hasn't performed well, on about the same amount of evidence than someone like Garoppolo who has performed well, but maybe just not at the, the consistent elite level, which is very hard to, to get to. Well, Kevin, thanks for coming on during your vacation uh, and talking a little bit, uh, getting nerding out on Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and Bayesian stats. It's been a ton of fun. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 